All right, uh, let's uh, go ahead and get started this evening. Glad you're here. Um, it's kind of active day. I don't know what yours was like, but um, yeah, it was. Um, we're glad we're here. Had a quite a group this morning and uh, quite a group this evening. So thankful for that. But uh, it, uh, we going over the same passage uh, tonight, and hopefully it'll bring the same kind of uh, response that it brought this morning. So um, <clears throat> it's a um, good, good passage to be looking at uh, here. So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you're a God that uh, delights in saving individuals, that uh, you uh, have had this as your goal from eternity past, uh, the rescue of all has been uh, your wish was uh, and desire, but uh, when you do rescue individuals, it's a, a delight to you. And so, Lord, this evening as we look at your word, may we be reminded of this, encouraged by this, uh, as we look at uh, these parables this evening that zoom in on that thought and uh, help us uh, to better appreciate your concern and love for us. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We are coming to what we are calling the parable of lost things. Okay, we typically are familiar with the lost sheep and the lost coin, but we forget the third one. It's the lost son. Okay, that's the, you know, we call him the prodigal son, but really if you're following it through, the lost, all these three of these things are lost. And uh, in looking at these, the Parables are, are, we don't want to, when we come to them this evening, uh, go that they are extremely familiar to us. You know, I I could get you up here and you could teach them for me um, because some of these are ones that you've heard repeatedly over and over again, read them, they're familiar to you. Um, But uh, with that, we sometimes go racing past what the message is and what the thought is the Lord's trying to get across. And this one is uh, in going with these first two. Okay, we're not going to go all three. We'll deal with the lost son next week. And, uh, but we're going to deal with the first two, and we're going to do this for a reason, and we'll explain it uh, here in a second. But uh, as we go through it, there's a, a very clear message the Lord's trying to get across. And sometimes we miss it because of other parts and other things going on. But uh, trust we will uh, receive it this evening. When we come to this parable, you have uh, what we've just simply started off with calling the groupings, okay? There, there are two groups that are uh, there to hear this parable. Verse 1 in Luke 15 says this, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners, for to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. You know, it's, uh, I tell you, the groups, uh, the two groups are the reason for the parables. It was the, and I put it this way, the most unlikely individuals that were coming and eager to hear Jesus, tax collectors and sinners. And these are the ones in society that you'd go, these are ones that would never have anything to do with Jesus, never have anything uh, to do with him because of their background, but yet you have them flooding to Jesus and hearing what he has to say. These individuals realize they've got no hope. 
And when they're hearing the message of Jesus Christ, they're beginning to recognize they have hope. They have a possibility of being right with God. And and they see the Lord's care and concern for them, and they flock to him. On the other hand, you have the Pharisees and the scribes uh, were not excited to hear Jesus or to see the most despised be accepted by Jesus. When we talk about the Pharisees and the scribes, what we're talking about are uh, individuals. Uh, the scribes would have been uh, sometimes in other places called the law lawyers. Uh, the lawyers were the ones who had both the Old Testament scriptures and commentaries on it memorized. So people would come to them and go, what does the, the scripture say about this? Or what does rabbi so-and-so have to say about this? And these men could pretty much rattle off uh, these things because they were very familiar with it. The Pharisees, uh, oftentimes like the scribes, would have good portions of the scripture and uh, commentaries on it uh, memorized, but uh, slightly different. They weren't giving their life to just the reading, the studying, and uh, the copying of scripture uh, like the scribes were. But these two groups, Pharisees and scribes, were not happy with what's going on here, which really is sad because these are the ones who ought to have been the first ones to listen to Jesus and eager to hear him as the fulfillment of all these Old Testament sayings, uh, and that they should have delighted in the fact that this message was uh, something that could have impact on all, but they're not. This chapter, we also have to remember, follows a chapter that dealt with feasting. Remember these parables we had where Jesus is watching the feast as he's being watched? He's looking at the way people sit down because they're choosing spots to make themselves more visible, more known. Uh, And uh, he goes through, has the one parable about the fact of humility. Don't choose the, the chief seats. Don't go and get the top seat and then be called down and pulled down because you're in the wrong spot. And he's not just simply saying, give me a false humility. He's saying, you have a real humility where you understand that you are no better than anybody else. Let uh, others uh, praise you. Don't you do it yourself. On the other hand, he went after the hosts. Most of these people would be hosts for party eventually. And he says, don't invite your friends that are going to reflect uh, back to you the same. That's not to say you never have friends over, but consider others, the poor the ones who can't quite get there, the lame, to be a part of your party. And then he gave the last uh, one, which is the invitation to come to this feast, and you have people who have really lousy excuses. They, they had been warned in advance that the kingdom was there, the, the festival was coming, much like the Pharisees and Sadducees and the uh, scribes had been warned by the scriptures, this is coming. But what do they have when Jesus comes? Lousy excuses, they don't like what he is, and so the parable just kind of goes and says, okay, you reach out to the people who are in the byways and the highways and the ones that you would not normally go and invite to parties and invite them to come. With that as background, you work into this, and so there, there is this kind of feeling, a strong emphasis on feasting and who gets invited Okay, this is the, the, the emphasis is, okay, who gets to be invited to this feast? And ultimately the feast of being a part of the kingdom, enjoying God's presence forever, uh, and being able to enjoy this. Uh, it's that idea. 
The religious leaders were upset that Jesus would eat with sinners. Now, who would invite those people to a party? I'm not going to invite them. Well, no one should, but here the Lord's sitting with them. Just after this whole lesson on the fact that the Lord said there should be a, a generosity. So that's the start point. The rest of the parables, the lost son, or excuse me, the lost uh, sheep, the lost coin, and the lost uh, son is all directed towards this kind of thinking and attitude. So your notes say the parables, the three parables are told together. The sheep, the coin, the son, and each the loss becomes more significant. Okay? You say, what do you mean becomes more significant? Okay, you have 100 sheep, one of them gets lost. Okay? You got a 99% still that's there. 10 coins, you lose one. That's a 10% loss. Then you have one son, which human life is very important, but you have one son out of two. You've lost half of uh, the thing. The loss is more significant as you build up to the last story. So there is a building on this. And the emphasis in all of them is not just the idea of lost things, but the idea of rejoicing and celebration. So I want us to read through the first two parables, starting in verse number three, and it goes right down to verse number 10. With those thoughts in mind, just uh, kind of uh, read through this as if you've not read it, uh, seeing it with new eyes, and just kind of go, okay, what am I not seeing here before? Verse 3 says this, And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost, until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost." I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Neither what a woman uh, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. And you go through these first two parables, and uh, what you note is this, is that they're taken together because they have similar words emphasized. I mean, you may have caught this as you went through it. Uh, you have words like sinner, lost, rejoice, or joy. Uh, that's the blank that's there. Uh, rejoice and call. Uh, these words are repeated two or three times, four times, five times in this very short period of time. You have some of these in the third one with the lost son, but it just seems to be emphasized in this. The last parable ends with a different emphasis than these parables, and we'll talk about it uh, here at the end, what the difference is, the, the third parable. But uh, we take the two together, and a lot of people do just because they sound very similar in some of the way things are said and the words that are connected. You have the lost things here. 
Okay, what are the lost things? Well, first of all, you have a sheep that is lost. It was one of many sheep. However, the shepherd was willing to go and rescue the one lost sheep. Now, if you understand anything about sheep, which I don't that much, we have a few in here that understand them slightly better than others, but um, the fact is that sheep are, are social animals, not that they like, you know, communicating with you or that. Sometimes they look at you like, what are you doing? They like being around other sheep. And, and typically what happens is if a sheep wanders off and gets lost from the group, it bewilders them and confuses them uh, to the point where they'll just sit down. They won't know what to do. And uh, they will do no, really nothing to, to try and find their way back. They're just lost. They get confused by this. What you have is a situation like this. Uh, the sheep, whatever it did, got lost from the group. There's 99. The man counts through. He had 100. There's only 99. So he retraces steps and goes and finds this one. You know, you get the question of who ca- took care of the 99 while he's gone. Okay, it's a parable. You don't get all the details. Sorry. Okay, I mean, that's just, you have to understand that we don't get all our questions answered. But he leaves the 99. He goes and finds the one uh, sheep. There's great care that he takes. Doesn't make the sheep walk back. He actually carries it on his shoulders. Uh, and brings them back. And when he's coming back, and it says this, while he's got him on his shoulders, he's rejoicing. I mean, he's thrilled by this. I can imagine singing songs and whistling a tune and just is as happy as he possibly can be, having rescued the sheep. And then when he gets back, he is telling everybody, rejoice with me. See, what we might not catch in this is that the Lord is subtly going after the Pharisees and the scribes. The question is, why might some of these sheep be lost? Your notes tell you uh, that the shepherds, or excuse me, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were to be the, and this is the blank, the under-shepherds. You know, you have in the, the, the scripture there in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Okay, the Lord is one who is guiding and sustaining people throughout life, but he does put individuals that are underneath him uh, in and make them responsible for the religious life of individuals. They were known as the under shepherds. And what you have in Ezekiel chapter 34 We're not going to turn there this evening. You can read it on another occasion. But uh, Ezekiel 34 talks about the fact that there's a prophecy against the shepherds of Israel because they have have driven the sheep in front of them and have not cared for them and that they are lost and wandering the hillside. And it's an indictment against the religious leaders Ezekiel's day, and you see this quoted several times. Uh, these are people who are sheep having no shepherd. Okay, Th- that's what this comes from. The Lord is subtly going after these religious leaders that they're the ones who should be seeking the lost and finding them, but they're the ones probably driving them away. Uh, further from God, further from safety, and the like. And so the good shepherd, 
as you have here, is the one that goes after this one sheep. And you just go, okay, so the good shepherd, and well, you got the hinting of this, good shepherd is God, Jesus Christ. He goes after just one sheep. He's excited to do this. Okay, you're getting the idea here that even insignificant things are important to God. But then you get to the second lost thing here, and it's a lost coin. It was only one coin among few, uh, the coins were, was worth a day's wage. That's the, the blank there at the bottom, a day's wage. And she had 10 of them. And some people bring up the fact that this might have been part of the woman's dowry. Okay, when she got married, she was given, uh, in many cases, a necklace, or it wasn't really a necklace, it was a headpiece that had coins in it, and it was something that uh, it would be for her to, you know, in case something happened, she had something to, to provide for her, uh, it was her money, uh, and it was just a gift that she had. It could be that, okay, we're, we're not told that that's the case, that it's this item that she lost, uh, it may very well be that they are, as the, the note uh, there with the blank, is that they may have been poor. You know, 10 days wages and you lose one day's wage and, you know, it, it's been something that you've attempted to gather. And uh, yeah, you don't want to be losing that. I mean, we, we, we're the same way. I mean, do we really want to give away a day's wage? You know, I worked for that and, uh, you know, they could pay for this and this and this and... Uh, so it may very well be that either she lost this, um, uh, the dowry, the chain, part of the chain that was there. I tend to lean on the fact that maybe it was that because she's earnestly seeking for this and then she's rejoicing afterwards, whereas most people would not rejoice, you know, hey, you lost your coin in your house, you found it, congratulations. Uh, you know, that type of thing. So I, I tend to think maybe uh, it could be this, but we're not told specifically, but it's a lost coin. What she does is she gets a lamp, uh, and I should have brought this in with me. A lamp uh, back then would have been uh, basically an open, um, not vase, but a clay dish, the wick coming out of it, and it wouldn't give a whole lot of light. It seems like this house is probably what would have been most people's houses back then. They didn't have windows. You know, it was hard to put in windows and houses, so they just didn't have windows. So here she is, she's going through this house. Uh, most people had stone or dirt floors, and she's going through the house, sweeping uh, all of this up, trying to find the one coin with a lamp and sweeping at the same time. Uh, and so it's not an easy search, but she does it, and she finally finds it. Now... <clears throat> You go, okay, the lost things are found. But that's not the emphasis of the parables. I mean, it has an element to it, but that's not the emphasis that lost things are found. Because in both parables, as you, you have your notes here, in both parables, when the lost items were found, friends were called together for a celebration. That's the emphasis of both of them and it's the emphasis of the third one. You end with this. Come together, and we want you to rejoice with me. I mean, they both said, the, the shepherd and the woman said something along this line. Rejoice with me, for I have found what was lost. You know, I found the coin, which was lost, or I found the, the sheep that was lost. But the same statement is made. But you rejoice with me. 
that I found this, and I want you to rejoice. The friends, as the blank is there, the friends were expected to rejoice with them. You know, we have occasions like this, and at times it can be frustrating and this, you know. Uh, you know, when you're supposed to be excited for somebody and you're really not at times, you know. You know, girls get engaged and they're going around. You're like, okay, that's nice. Yay. You know, you know, some people are like that and others aren't. You know, they're excited about it and the like. You know, there, there are things that people buy and say, hey, look at what I got. You know, okay, great, good. Um, but in this case, it's expected. You rejoice with me because this is really, really important that this was found. The stated point, when you get all said and done, the stated point that ends both of these parables is that God rejoices in heaven over one lost sinner that repents. Okay, that's the emphasis, but understand, he is not looking for anyone to perish. I mean, John 3.16, I wrote that down there. I think you're familiar with it. For God so loved the world. That's including all the nice people and all the mean people. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, be lost forever, but has the opportunity to have everlasting life. I mean, that, that verse right there, you're going, God's not up in heaven going, okay, you know what, I'm, I'm okay with, you know, this group over here and that group over here and this group over here. You know what? The whole world, fine, you know? No, God's going, this is a gift for anybody that calls on me out of that world that they don't have to perish. Uh, the other verse that's there is uh, 2 Peter 3.9. Um, that he's not willing that any should parent or perish but should come to repentance. And that, that's God's desire and so when you get to this, you understand that's the character of God. And, and for me, when I was a kid, I didn't quite understand when it said there's joy in the presence of the angels. I thought it was the angels. You know, think about it. When you have the stories of the birth of Jesus and all this, you have angelic choirs singing, and uh, they're doing this, and they're rejoicing. Uh, when you get to Revelation, who's doing all the rejoicing and, and the celebrating? The angels and the people around the throne. But when it says there's joy in the presence of the angels, this is God doing this. Okay. Understand, the angels don't understand all the aspects of salvation. In fact, Ephesians makes very clear that they're learning about salvation as they observe how people are saved from both Jews and Gentiles. They're saved. They're, they're understanding some of these concepts. I mean, they're not infinite in their knowledge. They learn. Um, and so this is God rejoicing over a single individual. He's delighting in the fact that fellowship is restored. We, we sometimes forget why God created mankind. He created them to what? Have fellowship with him. Okay, this is why he created man in his image. Not only would he reflect God's character, they would be able to fellowship with God on you know, the same level, even though there's an infinite God. There's this ability to fellowship. 
In the cool of the evening, Adam and Eve have the opportunity to, to go and meet with God and talk with God. The creator of the universe. And, and this is the delight of God. Uh, this is why when mankind sinned, it brought grief to God. But all this is he's poured into these individuals and given them responsibility to reflect his character and to be like him and, and to communicate and fellowship with him. And they run off. And when you have just one individual, okay, I mean, we're not talking here, you know, ten, hundreds of thousands, uh, you know, that there's rejoicing over it. No, just one. God is rejoicing in the presence of the angels. The angels know about this because God's excited about it. And so what is he calling them to do? Rejoice with me over one sinner that repents. This is, worth, this is worth everything. We have one sinner that's repented. Which, you know, you think about it, you might have not, never thought that the day that you came to Christ was really all that important, but to God, that was a day worth rejoicing over. He was delighted in it. And you kind of go, okay, this is the God who's promised that He's got a place for me. Do you think he's going to hold to that promise? If he's on the day you, you, you got saved, he's rejoicing over this? Now, that's, that's the stated point. But you have something that's the unstated point. It's sort of like in English, you have um, the understood subject. You know, Stop doing that. Well, where's the, the subject in that? Well, it's an understood you. Okay. Oh, okay. You know, it's not there, but I, I, I should have known that that's what it was. Well, what you have here is an unstated principle. And the unstated principle is this, is that God expects everyone else to rejoice when one sinner, lost sinner, is found. Now, this is the unstated point that will be emphasized in the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son, because the story just doesn't end. Okay, son comes back, father throws a great feast. No, you, you spend a whole paragraph with a son who's standing outside and going, I'm not going in. Now, okay, you know, cover your ears if you don't want to know what's going to be part of what we're talking about next week. But that son refuses. In fact, he is angered. I mean, he's raw. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's lit up, you might say, or as the English say sometimes, he's incandescent, you know. He's lit up. He's angry. And he won't go in. He won't be a part of the feast. He refuses. And you go, well, what's, what's the, the, the thing going on there? It's this, that the Pharisees are the ones who are not rejoicing with Jesus over sinners that are repenting. When these individuals are coming, the sinners and the, the tax collectors, what people would deem as the worst in society, and they're coming to God, there ought to be this idea of, this is great! I mean, God is delighted in this happening. The, the sinners that are farthest away in our, our mind are coming to God, and that ought to be reason for rejoicing. The Pharisees are going, I can't believe they're coming here. You know, I don't want them to be part of this party. I don't want them to be a part of the, the, the kingdom. I, do we have to live with them for eternity? 
I mean, that, that's the thought process here. I don't think they should be there. And their attitude ultimately is this. They won't go to the party like the eldest brother won't go to the party because they're just kind of going, well, I don't think you should be doing that for them, having this great feast and, and a party and calling people together to rejoice. I don't think you should be doing that. And you go, well, what does that mean? They don't have the heart of God. Okay, they, they, they are the ones assumed to be closest to God. They're the farthest from God. And so that's what this is emphasizing, is that there ought to be rejoicing when someone gets saved because God is delighted in that more than you are. I mean, I've, I've wondered what that sounds like, to hear God rejoicing in the presence of the angels. I mean, I'm, I'm waiting to hear the angelic chorus. You know, but can you imagine this God rejoicing? I mean, singing is, you know, part of this probably. So, you know, do you rejoice when people you don't think are fit for the kingdom suddenly get saved? Do you rejoice when they do? I mean, we, we you know, this is... Uh, interesting that we went through this parable because this morning there was an individual uh, that Dr. Donnelly had brought with him and when we got done he goes I just want to let you know we have reason to rejoice in this room he goes I've had the opportunity in the last few weeks to have Bible studies with individuals who have come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Ron here has accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Ron goes yeah he goes, I did. Uh, they had uh, the Bible study for the exchange, and he had given it to him to, to go through it. And so they went through the first lesson, and he got to the last question, and Ron goes, oh, yeah, I did that back on Tuesday when I read this. He goes, I need Christ. Amen. And here he is, uh, you know, two weeks later, and uh, he's a part of our Bible study this morning, and uh, he's been part of Dr. Donnelly's Bible studies, uh, both as a group and then as individuals. And you're just going, this is really exciting. You know, I met him when he came out the door and talked to him for a little bit. And I said, this is an exciting thing. He said, you, you have, uh, you know, he goes, I, I, he goes I, I thought I knew what, you know, I was talking about all this time. You know, I was religious. He goes, you know, now because I sat down and read through what the scripture had to say, he goes, you know, that's what I needed. I needed Christ. And uh, so, you know, that was, you know, for us, it was just a very practical lesson to end everything with is just to simply go, you know, we, we've got reason to rejoice because, you know, Ron's here in our Bible study here at the church because he's, you know, gone through some other things and he's accepted Christ as Savior. And he's just, you know, talking away that he's delighted to have that happen. So that is what the, the, the parable is about. It's not necessarily lost things being found. It's that we ought to rejoice just like God does over one sinner. You know, sometimes I, I, I've been part of different things where you have preaching and it's for the unsaved and one, you know, you, you get this response, you go, oh, only one person got saved. One person got saved. Do you realize what was going on in the courts of heaven? No, 
We, we get upset, you know, it's just one, you know, it should have been 90, 100, you know, nothing's going on here. Not in the courts of God, God's rejoicing over that. You would think that there were millions that had gotten saved when sinner repents. Amen. So we ought to rejoice uh, even with one who may be far from God or who you may think, no, that's really not one that should be part of the kingdom. Uh, we ought to rejoice when they do come to Christ just like God does. It delights his heart. Anything else on this? Any questions? Any thoughts? Yes. I mean, um, the Pharisees and some years ago, there was a that heard uh, stepping into heaven mm-hmm. and looking and saying, "He's here," mm-hmm. and realizing they're looking back at you, mm-hmm. saying. Yeah, what's he doing here? You know, the the whole thought of, you know, you get to heaven and you're going, wow, they made it? And you really ought to be reflecting back and going, yeah, uh, I made it. Uh, I shouldn't have. But the grace of God, I'm here. It's true. I see a hand waving back here. Yes. So sometimes you'll lead somebody to the Lord and they don't want to do Yeah. So the next time you're, you get that opportunity, you have a struggle in your heart because you're like, oh, I think they received the Lord today. And wh- where should we land on, on that? Because we can't see like God. Yeah, we, we can't see like God does. Um, but the fact is, is you ought to make clear to them if they have confessed Christ and they've gone through this process and they have, you know, this is our desire. You're going, this is a great thing. I mean, this is an incredible thing because you were one wandering from God and now you have the opportunity to fellowship with him forever. You were his enemy, now you're his friend. You know, this is a great thing. So, you know, you, you, you know, you're not going, well, okay, we'll see in a couple weeks. You know, well, we'll see if you're really saved or not. No, no, you, you work them through this. But, but if you've done your work beforehand, you know, if you've done the right kind of work beforehand and somebody comes to Christ, um, yeah, you usually go, okay, this is a working of God because, you know, you've seen the lights go on and whatever, and you're going, you know, God's been chasing after this individual. Um, yeah, so, yep. Yes? Mm-hmm. You've done this. Yeah. Yeah. God's God. You've been saved, and now there ought to be a change to reflect the knowledge of what you now have. Yeah. What you have it ought to impact how you live. Look for that change. Yeah. To look for the change to see what the Lord's doing. Yeah. Yep. Very much true. Anyone else? Peggy. Um, Richard was saved 25 years after I was. And I said to him, you know what, honey? The angels never are rejoicing over you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, it wasn't the angels, it was God. Yeah. I mean, that's the incredible thing to me, you know. What's that? I thought it was the angels were rejoicing. It's not the angels, it's God. That's the thing. It's in the presence of the angels. Yeah. And then the angels will go along with him on this and they will rejoice with him. But, but the one who's leading this out is not the angels, it's God himself. 
is leading the rejoicing. So, yeah.